anytime something like this is going to cost you less than $100 as a business, just do it. It's not worth losing a customer over, right? What you're going to garner from that loss of $100 or less is just massive. Fairly plain and simple, going to cost you less than $100, just do it. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I'm delighted to be welcoming Cole Atkinson to the podcast. Cole is a senior product manager at Shopify, an international e-commerce platform that really needs no introduction. Cole places a high importance on people in business and prides himself on having an unrelenting commitment to the cause. Welcome to the show, Cole. Thanks, Lauren. Great to be here. I'm super excited because I think majority of the people listening to this podcast are Shopify business owners because that's one of the biggest customer areas that we serve at Gameball at the moment. So I feel like a lot of people will be very excited about this episode. So before we dive into everything, let's just take a step back and first learn what even drew you to customer experience and moving to Canada and starting to work for Shopify. Yeah, absolutely. So I've taken a bit of a roller coaster in my career or at Shopify, as they call it, rather than the corporate ladder, it's a corporate jungle gym. So I was originally in sales and I got into sales straight out of university. I basically took a bunch of time off during university. And so by the time you know, I still had one or two years left of my degree and all my friends were out of university making money. And I was like, well, I want to make money now too. So I started a sales job, a full-time sales job while I was still at university. And yeah, that sort of naturally progressed from there. And after a few years in sales, I decided it wasn't really for me. I learned a lot, was very grateful for the experience, but then joined a buddy of mine who actually had his own business. It was just him at the time. So I was his first employee, if you like. And from there, I learned a lot more about customer experience and business in general. So since there were only two of us, I had you know the job of sales, operations, marketing, the whole thing, like any small business. And that's when I got really, really curious about e-commerce and more specifically Shopify. I was still in New Zealand at the time. And yeah, it's kind of been a pretty crazy journey from those days of running the business with my buddy. He's still got the business. He's doing very, very well. I think he's up to maybe something like 30 or 40 employees now, which is really, really exciting for him. And yeah, my interest in Shopify, like I say, grew from that business where we had an e-commerce or a retail part of the business. We like many businesses at the time, and even today, had a completely custom e-commerce stack, which is just crazy for you know a business of two people. So Shopify really piqued my interest in terms of what they were doing with this new way of selling online. And eventually that led me to moving to Canada and actually working for the company, first of all, in customer success through to today into product management. That's awesome. And I feel like What's most exciting about Shopify itself is that whether it's customer success or sales or product management, no matter what role you're in, it's really about empowering businesses and working with all these merchants and all that really exciting thing about it. So what drew you to the product management role specifically at Shopify? 
Yeah. So I think, like I said, that curiosity that I experienced when I was still back in New Zealand just continued to grow. So, you know, naturally my career in sales first led me to a customer success role at Shopify. And that was fantastic because as you say, it was just dealing with businesses on the platform all the time. And the amount that I learned from these businesses and the problems that they were having and the pain points that they were having was just super, super valuable. And basically from customer success, I went into solutions engineering. And so my job then was to help merchants work around pieces of the platform. You know, like any SaaS platform, we're never going to be 100% of every merchant's or every business's needs. So we build, you know, what most people need most of the time. And then, you know, the other 20%, we sort of try and extend the platform so that businesses can build their own functionality, work around the platform, whatever it may be. And so I just got super curious about like why we weren't actually solving some of these things for merchants in the platform. Like I would have business after business after business that we were, you know, building custom solutions for or whatever it may be. And so I was like, I really enjoy working with businesses, but I'm so curious now. I want to actually solve these problems. I want to solve these problems at the platform level. And then that's when I got really curious about product management and getting into product. That's really interesting. I always find the idea of product management really cool because I think it's the perfect intersection between business and tech. And I think there's a lot that you have to think about in that role where you really have to think on both sides, which I think is a superpower to have. But I'm also sure it comes with some challenges. So are there any obstacles or challenges that you find with your role as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like segue from what I was just talking about, you know, as a multi-tenanted SaaS platform, you have customers, you know, stretching you in so many different directions, right? And one thing that Toby Luke, our CEO, has always said is that, you know, Shopify is the kind of company that will die from indigestion, not from thirst. Like we're drinking from the fire hose all the time. There is no shortage of things that we can build. And so often there are multiple problems that are very, very valid problems for us to solve. So I think two, that there's several challenges in my role, but two that I like to highlight is prioritizing the right thing at the right time is extremely challenging. In the interest of retention, which we're going to get into today, you know, for people to stay on the platform, you need to be solving their problems. And if you're not solving the right things at the right time, they're going to leave. And then the second thing is, you know, Shopify is known as the entrepreneurship company. And, you know, we have traditionally been positioned as the platform to serve small and medium-sized businesses. And, and that is still true today. But I think a big challenge for us now is how do we retain our entrepreneurial spirit and continue to help entrepreneurs around the world while also extending up market into bigger enterprise merchants. And I think, you know, we're starting to see a lot more, I guess, credibility for Shopify in the enterprise market. And the challenge there comes with how do we stretch up and how do we remain true to our original values while also serving the needs of some of these much, much bigger and more complex businesses. And I think we're well on the road to doing that, but I'm not sure if there's any other company in history that has done that successfully. And I'm super, super excited. I'm super interested to see you know, how we can successfully serve all those areas of the market. That's really interesting. And so one thing I'm also curious to know more about in this whole topic of retention is when you were in customer success, and I'm sure you also see this in product management as well. I'm curious to know, I guess, the different lenses you've had on this. What have you come across in seeing the importance of retention within the companies that you work with on Shopify? 
Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to retention, you know, it's probably no secret to your listeners that when it comes to your return on investment and purely from a financial perspective, the cost to you to retain your existing customers as opposed to acquiring new ones is you're just garnering so much more return from your efforts, from your money, and from everything in terms of retaining existing customers versus acquiring new ones. And so I think that's, you know, we see across a lot of different areas that, you know, a lot of pain when you see companies actually prioritizing acquisition over retention. And I think some of the telecommunications companies in Canada are a great example of this, where they will go to all lengths to bring on new customers. And you're kind of sat there as the, you know, you have this amazing experience where you get this great deal and everyone's super helpful and you come on and then one year later, when you're halfway through your contract, you can't get a hold of anyone, you know, like it's just absolutely horrible. And I just think, you know, what companies should do, you know, whether, you know, at Shopify, we're an e-commerce platform, whether you're a direct-to-consumer business selling products or goods or services, you know, optimizing for the experience first is paramount. I think it's Phil Knight's, what was it, the Nike's 10 commandments or, or 10 principles. And the last one is if we do the right thing, we will make money hand over fist. And I think that is just captures it in a nutshell. Like if you optimize for a great experience and you do the right thing, the money's going to come. And you can clearly see the difference with, you know, like I say, these telecommunications companies that are not optimizing for the experience and they're optimizing for the money. And it's just absolutely horrible. So looking at examples like Nike, for instance, you know, see so you wearing Nike today, the brand loyalty that they have built up with customers over years and years, you know, my Parents who are 65 now were buying Nike when they were 30 years old. And 35 years later, they're still buying Nike. So I think you might have given the best example I've ever heard of companies that focus on more acquisition than retention. Because in the past three to four weeks, I've had three internet outages. And when you call them, they are just nowhere to be found. Can't get a hold of yeah. them. And then when I finally did get a hold of them after about two hours, they said, oh, yeah, it'll probably be fixed in 12 to 24 hours. And I said, what? <laughs> Yeah. How does this make any sense? Really struck a nerve there. <laughs> yeah. And we've, you know, I won't go on about that example too much, but, you know, with our phone plans, you sign a two-year contract and there's this two-year cycle of like, well, every two years you got to shop around. So they come to a head where they've done such a poor job over those two years of treating you well as a customer that the first thing that jumps into my mind when that contract is up is I'm like, okay, get ready to go shop around as opposed to just being like, just keep the service going. I've got no interest in shopping somewhere else. And I think you make a great point that experience really is at the core of everything. And actually, we've had a couple of guests on the show commenting on this time and time again, because one thing that I'm starting to notice throughout all of the guests that come on the podcast is that retention, first of all, is such a big umbrella. There's so many things you can cover. There's so many different aspects to it. One theme I'm starting to see across all these different people with different backgrounds, different viewpoints, perspectives, et cetera, is that experience and really getting down to the granular detail of what's going to delight a customer is so important. And one thing I'm curious about, especially from your point of view with a company like Shopify, where they're at the forefront of e-commerce and retention and acquisition and all these fun things, is have you seen some sort of shift happen about retention with merchants that you've worked with at Shopify? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is driven a lot by technological change. So a few different things happening probably two, three, four years ago, you know, to start a business, to start advertising on Facebook and Google and Twitter, 
And that way of acquiring customers was the golden age of acquisition. It was extremely effective, extremely easy, and extremely cost-effective. That's now all changed. We'll never be able to probably pull the curtains back behind the Facebooks and the Googles about why that is. You know, I think we can probably all have our own guesses as to why that is. You know, these companies need to continue to make more money. They have a responsibility to shareholders. But then there's been other things happen like, you know, Apple's change that they introduced with iOS 14. So what a lot of these advertising platforms rely on is that when you interact with the brand at all, so let's say you interact with the brand through the website, they have a tracking pixel on you, right? That can say, oh, okay, we know who you are. Then when you go throughout all these other platforms, they retarget you. It's probably no secret to your listeners that you know that's the way that it works. But with iOS 14, you know, basically customers can now opt out of that. So you have potentially a shrinking pool or a shrinking population of people to advertise to, but these companies still need to make their money, right? So that cost of acquisition through traditional online channels has skyrocketed, and that has prompted a real change in businesses' attitude towards, you know, how they can best stay profitable. And, you know, cost of acquisition is going to vary from business to business. I'm in a bunch of community forums with Shopify merchants, and most of the time I'm just observing, you know, as someone who's trying to build product to help them. But, you know, they're very forthcoming with sharing cost of acquisition and how it's changed. And I won't quote the business, but their cost of acquisition, even something like two years ago, was somewhere around 11 to $12. And that's increased to $35 today. So we're talking about really, really big increases in this cost of acquisition. And they're like, well, why should I be spending my money on this when maybe I should be investigating a loyalty program, a subscription program, you know, and no longer getting the best bang for my buck or the best return on investment from trying to acquire these new customers. So yeah, over the past few years, definitely to answer your question directly, as a result of all these changes and rising costs, like huge change in attitude towards retention. Absolutely. Yeah. I like the way that you put that as well, because it's really a balance between acquisition and retention. And sometimes people think of them as completely separate, one less important than the other, but it really, this showcases the fact that, okay, what do you do now when the cost of acquisition goes up so much that you're left almost back into a corner? What do you do next? And so that's a really interesting way to put it. And I'm curious to know, have you seen any really good or really solid retention strategies over the past as well? Yeah, I've got a couple actually. And you know, we just spoke about optimizing for experience. And I think that's exactly where I've seen good strategies in play. I think the first example is a brand called Culture Kings. They're on Shopify. Yeah. They're based out of Australia. They're currently or recently have done an expansion into the US, but I'm a hat guy. I love hats. And so I buy hats from Culture Kings and I spend way too much money on hats. They have a really unique selection, so I can't find it anywhere else. So most of the hats ship from Australia. And of course, I'm in Canada. And so a lot of the times I'm obviously paying a lot in shipping to get these things here. And so I did a couple of orders with them and then it was uncanny, really. I got to the point and I was like, oh, I really want some more hats, but you know, I can't, by the time I was getting two hats here, it was like $130 or something. And then I got an email from them and the two keys about it were experience and personalization. So they sent me an email and it, it didn't feel like a generic email campaign. It was very targeted towards me. And it was basically like, hey, like we know you're in Canada. You know, we've seen that you've actually placed a couple of orders. They always ship from Australia. Like you obviously have an interest in this one thing. Like here's a one-time offer. Just take free shipping on us for your next order. Wow. Yeah. Really, really simple, right? Like a free shipping campaign. But it was personalized to me because they obviously understood my pain point was like, you only have these options in Australia. 
until such time that you can stock them locally in the US or in Canada, kind of don't come to expect this, but you know, here you go. That would have cost them a, a ton, right? Because of course I placed a big order, which is great for them, but then it's much heavier to ship. So they might've lost, let's say a hundred dollars on shipping or something to that effect. But that's just the kind of such a great experience. And I'm going to place another order with them again, regardless of it's free shipping or not. So that experience and that personalization, rather than just like, hey, like 15% off, the personalization was really, really good. And then the second one, which is not so much a, I guess you could call it a strategy, but it was just a really, really great customer experience, was with a Canadian company called Cotton, spelled K-O-T-N. So Ben, Ben Seal, Ben, if you're listening, apologies if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. He actually works at Shopify now. He's the founder of the company, but he works at Shopify. So Cotton does, you know, really high quality clothing, bedding, bed sheets, all these sorts of things. And I bought some bed sheets from them and I'm normally very cheap with that kind of stuff. And I said, no, I'm going to you know, buy some, some nice bed sheets. And it, they came in and there was a very minor problem with one of the ends, the string where you tie your duvet cover and the duvet together was broken. And so we went back to them. I was like, oh, hey, like, you know, this is broken. And they were just like, hey, don't worry about it. We're sending you a new one right now. Don't worry about the one that you've got there. Just keep it. And I was just like, oh, like, are you sure? Like, I can I can send this one back. They're like, no, don't worry about it. Just keep it. And I was just like, wow, like, isn't that just such an amazing experience? And actually saw Ben on Twitter. I think he had a similar customer problem. Don't quote me on this. I can't remember exactly what he said, but his ethos, if you like, is like, hey, anytime something like this is going to cost you less than $100 as a business, just do it. Like, just do it. Like that $100, it's not worth losing a customer over, right? And same thing for me with cotton now. I'm like, customer for life. You know, what you're going to garner from that loss of $100 or less is just massive. And I thought that was really good. It was it was just fairly plain and simple. Going to cost you less than $100, just do it. Honestly, I really like that thinking because sometimes I feel when we talk about hyper-personalization all these very specific targeted things to retain your customers, it can maybe be a little bit daunting because how do you come up with such creative ideas? Because obviously some companies do have really creative ideas and I definitely applaud them for that. But those two examples that you just gave me are so simple, but so effective. So simple. And that rule that you've just given is such a great benchmark almost because as a business owner, you're always trying to come up with different ideas. So it can be like, okay, what on earth do I do now? How do I figure this out? But I really like that. And actually... It reminded me, do you know the brand Our Place? Like the pans and pots and yes. yeah, things like pan, that? Yep. Yeah. I've worked a little bit with Our Place. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, great. So I ordered a pan for my mom. And so I ordered the first pan and then I went back to buy the Dutch oven. And same thing happened as with your cotton sheets where I got the Dutch oven pot. And when I opened it, there were slight oil marks on it or some sort of marks on it. And literally within the day, I sent them a picture and I said, hey, it's not a big deal, but is there any way I could get some sort of discount or replacement or something? Because this is a present for my mom's birthday and it's really special and I don't want her to open it with marks. They didn't ask any questions. They sent me a new one, didn't ask me to send back the original product. I still have the original. And I said, are you sure? Like, this is a high ticket item. I don't want to keep a $150 pot because I was like, if you want it back, I'm happy to give it back. Yeah. And they were like, no, no, don't worry. We want every single item we ship out to be of great quality. So please keep both enjoy, have a good time. And I was just stunned. I was, it's so simple. 
every single thing I've bought from them since has been from our place. Yeah, exactly. And then look at what's happening right now. We're on a podcast with, about, how, yeah. with however many listeners that you have, and they're all going to be like, you know, I, wow, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they're like, I need a new pot. I'm going to go to our place. And it's that customs for life and that word of mouth and that, you know, having voluntary champions of your business and the community is massive. Yeah. And I think it's really important, but I do really, really like that statement you said about if it's $100 or less, do it because kind of makes your decision really, really easy at that point. Yeah. So I like that one a lot. You can become so tunnel visioned. Oh, I'm going to lose X amount on this. I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. And you're going to lose far more if you prioritize your $50 loss. Exactly. And so I'm curious to know, we're talking about retention. We're talking about different strategies to be creative with it, be simple with it and effective. But one thing that does come up, which I'm sure is talked about a lot at Shopify being a global brand, is how retention plays a role on the international stage. So we also have lots of customers who have stores in Australia, Canada, Europe, US, all over the place. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how companies should approach retention on the international scale. Yeah, absolutely. I love this question. I'm not sure whether there's a difference between domestic and international when it comes to retention. But what I will say is that when it comes to international selling, like the importance is that much higher, right? As I said, it's that much more difficult selling internationally, longer shipping times, more expensive shipping, you know, customs, taxes, compliance, you know, shipping things into different countries that, you know, a lot of merchants, you know, see that as riskier, so they might avoid it. And it's the unknown, I suppose. (laughs) Yes, into the unknown, exactly. But it's it's just such a big opportunity that we want to help people realize. So I think the biggest thing when it comes to selling internationally is transparency. So no one expects, you know, you to be able to ship something from one side of the world to the other in a day, you know, that's just not possible. So being really upfront with your customers about shipping and how long things are going to take in in any case, in the best case scenario, making sure that they have no additional costs when the product lands to them. So this is not something that's not really apparent in the US, but in Canada, we have a very low, what's called a de minimis. So basically anything you import into Canada over $20 Canadian is subject to duties and taxes. So you may have encountered this before, you buy a t-shirt from a US retailer And the t-shirt not delivered to you until you go down to Canada Post and pay them like another $15, (laughs) which completely sucks. So a company that does a really, really good job of this is Movement Watches, MVMT. Ah, I have one. Yes. Yeah, there we go. So Movement does an exceptional job of this, of when you land on their website, they know I'm in Canada. They do a really good job of saying, hey, we know you're in Canada. Obviously, shopping in local currency is a big one. Here's how long your shipment is going to take. And we guarantee you that there's no additional costs. So what you're seeing here on the page is exactly what you're going to pay and nothing more. They do free shipping worldwide or express shipping for a flat rate of $15. So again, everything's very easily digestible and very transparent. The next thing also comes down to returns. And this is a really tricky one because managing returns when you're selling internationally is obviously a lot more expensive than managing them domestically. But I would go back to that rule that we were speaking about before, you know, and maybe when it comes to international, you need to bump up that threshold a little bit more. 
but delighting the customer with, hey, you know, free returns, free exchanges, making sure that if anything goes wrong, they have no reason to say, hey, I'm not going to come back and shop with you because it was just such a hassle. And this is, you know, particularly prevalent with clothing and fashion brands. And this is what I hate to love about Amazon is there's just no questions. And you see people buying off Amazon that might buy like three different sizes of one thing because they're not sure what size is going to fit them because it's so easy to just send back one or send back another one. And I'm I'm not saying that it's realistic for every direct-to-consumer company to have the power of Amazon, but embracing that sort of mentality that, hey, if something goes wrong, like we've got you covered, don't worry about it. And again, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing creative. It's nothing completely out of the box. But again, I'll go back to the Culture Kings example, right? Like I'm a millennial. I want things now. Like if I can go down to Best Buy or if I can go down to the store and get it today, as opposed to ordering it online, like I probably will, but they have done such a great job that I'm like, takes 10 days to ship from Australia. That's fine. I'll do it. You know? And so you need that. You're not going to be able to necessarily compete with the Amazons and have everything delivered the next day. So, you know, you need to find a different route. And I think that transparency and optimizing for that experience when it comes to particularly returns is a really, really big one. With international, there's simple things. So offering local currency is paramount. Like that's just table stakes. People just don't expect to shop in anything other than their local currency. So we see businesses being a little bit hesitant about this because, oh, like it's complex or what does that mean for my accounting? You know, we won't get into the answers to that here, but again, optimizing for the experience versus your own business process. So yeah, again, I don't think there's anything groundbreaking there, but just kind of piling on top of those existing experiences that I've had both working at Shopify and as a consumer of brands on Shopify, you know, they've just got a customer for life in me now. Yeah. And I really like that. I think the theme of our conversation is doing things that are simple and effective. And I really, really enjoy that because even my goal with this podcast too, is to really give people actionable things that they can work on as well as give them ideas and inspire and things like that. And you've done just that, which is really nice because actually, even as you were explaining the example of being transparent about shipping and duties and things like that, I've 100% time and time again, chosen the brand that's told me everything that I should expect versus the one that said they may incur. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm just definitely not going to choose this brand because why would I order a $5 item and then pay 20 bucks on whatever, whatever? It's just I'd rather even just pay a higher price to know everything and not be surprised by any amount of potential cost that I might incur versus the other options. So I like everything that you've presented today because the fact is retention doesn't have to be a complicated thing. It's just the idea of optimizing for experience. And that's everything that you've just said, which is a really nice way that you've put it together. Yeah. And in some of these cases, you know, when you're selling international, we actually see evidence of some of this transparency, which can actually be at the detriment of your immediate acquisition and your immediate conversion rate, right? Like if you're going to pay duties, it's going to be a slightly higher cost. You're probably not going to convert as much, but the potential burden to your customer by you know getting the upfront sale and then them at the other end being like, why do I have to go to the post office and pay another $30? Like you don't want to have a leaky funnel or a leaky bucket. And by not being transparent, you're just continually going to have a leaky funnel or a leaky bucket versus a bucket which may be slightly smaller, but you're retaining everyone. 
Exactly. No, I really like that thinking. And it's a nice way to think about it because obviously there's so many different ways you can approach it. There's so many different aspects you can take, but it's clean. It's simple. It's effective. And I'm actually thinking about that line you said of if it's a hundred bucks or less, do it. I will a hundred percent be using that again in my future conversations. So I will quote you on it. Don't worry. <laughs> well, uh, you have to quote Ben on that one. I stole that oh, from Ben. Him, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Awesome. Well, with that, we're going to bring it to the last little part of our episode, which is the lightning round. So first things first, knowing what you know now, what's one thing that you would do differently in your career? Yeah, lots. Early in my career, I used to think that I wanted freedom and freedom meant comfort. Freedom and comfort are not the same thing. So optimize for freedom, but it's going to be very uncomfortable. You're not going to have freedom and comfort at the same time. Who is one person in marketing that you would love to pitch to? Oh, yeah, that's another really good one. Another Shopify brand, Gymshark, their chief brand officer is Noel Mack. And they just do some super, super cool stuff with their brand. They just launched a flagship store in London. And I love this example. All of their mannequins are actually 3D body scans of real Gymshark customers. I just love what they do as a brand. And I love what Noel does as their CBO. Excellent. I love that. Let me know when you end up pitching to him. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Third one. What is a marketing campaign that has really stuck in your head? Oh, yeah, lots. The original iPod commercials were really, really cool. This is not like a D2C example, but probably one that sticks in my head was one of the early Gmail campaigns. And it was really, really cool because the whole campaign actually had nothing to do with email. Basically, what they did is that they showed, you know, a baby being born and then the parents raising the baby and this, you know, growing up through life. And as the baby grew up, the dad and the mom would take photos and send those photos to this Gmail address. And then when the kid was an 18 or 21 or whatever, they gave them access to the Gmail address. And there were these photos and emails from all of these memories from them being born up until they were 21 or something. And I just thought that was just had, you know, like if you were trying to advertise an email product, the campaign just had nothing to do with email. Like just absolutely nothing. I love that. But you just like this wave of emotion and, you know, you knew it was Gmail, but somehow the campaign had nothing to do with email itself. It's just really cool. I'm actually going to search that after. That's really awesome. I do love those when they explain it, they have a storytelling aspect to it, but you see the power of business or this or that. I think the why behind things is so much more important than the what versus you telling me why Gmail is great for email functionality, this, that. I like that one a lot. All right. Last but not least is the time old question of advice. So is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? Yeah, let's go for a piece of life advice. And again, on the topic of simplicity, I had a business coach in New Zealand. His name is Tony Werner. And you know, I would go to him with my struggles all the time. And he would always say, Cole, you got two options. You can do nothing or you can do something. And if you do nothing, don't expect anything to change. And it's so simple, but so powerful. And so this piece of advice was actually the catalyst for me moving to Canada. A lot of people in New Zealand, great country, but very small country. A lot of people go and live overseas, either permanently or for a period of time. And I had given up on living overseas. I was married at the time. I had a dog. I had a house. And I was giving all these excuses. And he just said, Cole, if you do nothing, then nothing's going to change. You can sell the house or you can keep the house. You can take the dog with you or you can leave the dog at home. That's just simple. And I went, well, it really is that simple, isn't it? So yeah, you can either do nothing or do something. 
That's awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Cole. It was lovely to have you. Yeah, really, really great to be here. I, uh, I had a ton of fun. Really enjoyed it, Lauren. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.